Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. So good morning, a good afternoon, and a good evening to you, however you may be listening, and wherever you may be listening. This is the Man on the Post podcast, recording on a Saturday. For whatever reason, there was a scheduling conflict, and uh, for some reason we decided it'd be easier to record uh, on this, the uh, Saturday night. Uh, but enough about the schedule changes, let's get on with what we like to do. Let's talk about football, but let's first introduce the guest. Uh, I don't know who to introduce first. I'll introduce our regular, our, our regular panellist. If I can really use that term, it's uh, James Rowe calling all the way from the Netherlands, having only just sprinted his way back from the Amsterdam Arena to watch a thrilling victory by uh, his local team Ajax. James, a good evening to you. Good evening, fellas. How are you both? Good. And of uh, uh, making uh, his his usual uh, substitute appearance when we don't have enough people, we'd love to bring on Marcus Shearer, but this time. I'm feeling slightly uncomfortable because he's not in the same room as me. Marcus has discovered the wonderful tool that is Skype and is joining us all the way from his house, which is only 10 minutes away from my house, so he's just too lazy to come over. But we're happy to have him. Marcus, a good evening to you. I'm so comfortable right now. It's great. Yeah, you said to me this is the first time you're ever going to do a podcast nude, isn't it? But there was nothing... <laughs> By the way, there was nothing stopping you doing that in the first place. I have done many a man on the post uh, uh, in the buff, as people like to say. Yeah? Yeah, so there's nothing stopping you. Get a YouTube channel started. Start oh, oh. we would be a minus viewers. That would be that bad. But... Anyway, as we like to do, this is the uh, debate show uh, for Man in the Post. Uh, we're not going to be looking too much into results. We're going to be looking at the big stories in uh, not just domestic football, but global football as well. And there's only really one place to start, and that is with the second best league in the world. That's La Liga, because the Premier League is the best, as we know. Why would Sky Sports lie to us? And that's... The news came out, uh, it was about two or three weeks ago, maybe longer, but La Liga were considering playing matches in America. Whatever, for whatever reason, I don't know, because if you want to take it, you know, what the NFL did when they brought games to, uh, brought games to London, was they wanted to expand their market. Whereas I don't really think there's a market for La Liga to expand into, being the second biggest league in the world, there are plenty of Real Madrid and Barcelona fans across the across America who have to like football. But I digress. They basically want to put La Liga games in America for whatever reason, and the Spanish aren't too happy about this. Uh, particularly the captains who have come out and uh, came out with a I don't know if it was a message or a protest or they kicked the doors down and stormed the meeting. If, I'm if Diego Costa's a captain, I'm pretty sure he kicked the door down. Uh, or got Diego Simeone to do the same. But anyway, James, just what are your thoughts on this whole idea of leagues playing games abroad? Do you think it's a, a good thing? Do you think, well, similar to me, that there's no need to expand for a league like La Liga? Or, you know, just what's your, what's your take on, on the whole idea, first of all? I think it's a very silly idea. Um, I think that um, you know for them to take this decision without conferring with the, with the players, the players were unaware of what was going on in the background. Uh, people forget that this uh, deal, in inverted commas, also has to be sanctioned by the Spanish FA, and uh, I can't necessarily see the Spanish FA doing that. You have to look at the league as a whole. You know, you've got Huesca, who only have a capacity of five and a half thousand. You've got Gerona, who only uh, recently got promoted after, I think, 82 years. Uh, and uh, they're playing top-flight football, only have a capacity of 9,500. Uh, you've got to think of the budgets of teams, you know, in terms of teams flying all the way to America. You've got to think of the local supporters that have uh, season tickets that want to go to see every game. 
And I just think it's, 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 uh, it smacks of desperation to, to try to close the gap on the Premier League. This is, um, this is a league of tremendous quality. But the people that ad- admire this league and watch it on a regular basis fully understand that. Whereas some friendly games involving Real Madrid and Barcelona in Miami and in New York and Los Angeles are the opportunity to, as you say, for supporters to see their team at least once a season. Um, I just think, you know, you've got to look at the bigger picture in terms of the league is the Spanish league and it's spares by right. Um, okay. If you're going to, uh, one final point, Matt, if yeah. you're going to start to do all these things, what happens to home advantage in such a case? Okay, yeah, ab- yeah absolutely. Like, like I said, I'm sort of against the idea. I'd have been in favour of something like this because I, I, was, I was personally all in favour of... Not not the 39th game, which was a stupid concept, but 10 years ago when it was floated around of, you know, a, recipro- a sort of reciprocal agreement of uh, Premier League games being moved abroad, you know, I... I was kind of in favour of that. I wasn't in favour of, you know, the extra round of games, the game 39, but if you included it in one of the 38 round, in one of the 38 league games, um, I I personally would be out, I personally would be absolutely fine with that 10 years ago. Whereas now, as I've said, I don't think that the, the league like La Liga are in a position where they need to expand the market. Now, I will say, I'd argue the Dutch league... Would be are, are in a position are in a position where they're not exactly the biggest league, where they you know would want to expand to where they want to expand to new markets, um, maybe the Portuguese league as well. Basically, anyone who isn't the isn't the top four of British of European leagues, so England, Spain, Italy, and Germany. I take the argument they're fine as they are, but I can see the, I can see the argument for the Dutch league, the Belgian league, the Portuguese, uh, the Greek league. If you want to, if you want to go that far, thing. Marcus, what what's been your what's been your view of of the whole of the whole situation? I'm a bit confused by it, to be honest, mainly because I know, having been out to America uh, last year, I know that there are a lot of advertisements going around, particularly in the summer period for pre-season friendlies, where the two biggest names of La Liga, who the majority of fans in America would love to see Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, went out there to play friendlies. Not only did they go out there to play friendlies, uh, they'd be playing other quote-unquote European giants of football, or as they call it, soccer, and they're up against the likes of Manchester United, uh, Benson, I believe, there at some point, uh, and the likes. So the idea of um, going across continents uh, or I don't know if this is an additional league match or to take out of one of the weekends, much like the NFL will do when they bring over uh, teams to Wembley Stadium over here. Um, I'm not sure what the entire thought process is, but the reality is there is opportunity currently for American football fans to see um, both Premier League sides, La Liga sides, uh, possibly Serie A and Bundesliga sides, which are probably the main To say, do you think the captains needed to be consulted in this? You know, when you look at the when you look at the hierarchy of um, of a club, you know, 
base of of who the of who the decision makers are. Yes, the captain sh- should be involved, but something like this. Um, do you think the captains needed to get needed to get involved in this? Surely, you know we've heard this on many occasions. Your uh, the player, the role of the players, maybe the captain less so because you've got a, a sort of authority role. But it should be, you know, if a manager or the owner tells you to do, if if the manager or owner tells you the job, you should say how high. Surely it shouldn't be on the captains to um, have the. Uh, I don't want to say the moral high ground, but the, the authority. It shouldn't be their role to do so. Surely this should be something maybe the managers or the chief or or the owners or the chairman should be should be doing. Marcus, do you think that the captains needed? to step in with this or do you think the backlash from fans was you know was more than enough well I think I think the captains are representing um you know the the ones who are going to be most involved and sort of suffer the ramifications of this so they're representing the players who are going to be playing uh, across the pond who could be at risk of anything from fatigue to injury to uh, whatever else uh, may occur. They're also representing uh, all the coaches that train their players. They're re- uh, representing the medical staff, fitness uh, coaches, uh, whoever else has to travel out uh, with them. Um, and it's almost like, you know, captains are almost like a sort of right-hand man to the managers. So whilst managers might be dealing with other respons- responsibilities... They'll then refer to uh, the leaders of the people who will be directly affected by this physically, by travelling and playing these games over there. So, and again, it, it's another sort of spin on, instead of saying, well, all the chairmen of all the clubs gather together, so, you know, you can you have some actual more sort of relatable faces to the fans, but the club captains of each team, so the fans can say, so, well, our players care this much because our captains have gone made a meeting and uh, agreed or disagreed or however they feel about the situation and just uh, presented their feelings as appropriate from there. Okay, James, any you know any response to any response to what Marcus said? Um, I think Marcus made some very good points, but I think the, the money involved as well. I read reports that these friendly games that were taking place in the in inverted Champions Cup uh, in the summer in Los Angeles and New York in Boston, that some tickets for these games were going for in excess of three hundred dollars. So I think people are chasing the money. But where do you draw? Where do you draw the line? You know, domestic leagues are domestic leagues that need to be respected for what they are. The bloodline of a club going through difficult times domestically and improving to get promoted or play European football for the first time or be in contention to play European football. This is the lifeblood of domestic football where things can change very, very quickly. I think when you start to to mess around with this DNA and have games in uh, big cities, as Marcus says, and because I think that that will be the, the first port of call, and I think that will stay the first port of call because I can't see them switching from Los Angeles, New York, uh, Boston to Arizona to and to um, Detroit and places like that. I've also been fortunate enough to watch MLS games in Los Angeles, in Washington, and New York. And I must say, having watched games in their own domestic stadiums with their own domestic fans, um, also, obviously everybody's different, but there have been cases where they seem to over-exaggerate certain goals or exaggerate certain plays that everything is fantastic and everything is wonderful. When, when you've been watching football for years on end, you know that it's just a decent through ball. You know that it's just a decent header. And I just think for the lifeblood of domestic leagues, that needs to be protected at all costs. Okay, I, I can hear Marcus chuckling in the background. But what I will say is, uh, because there was a, there was another, a, a similar case a couple of years ago. I don't know whether I got any grounding. Um, was the idea of Celtic playing a game in a uh, Celtic playing game in Boston? Because there's a you know Celtic Irish you know there's Irish connections clearly, um, and there's Irish connections in Boston and Chicago and other uh, Northeast American cities. What I would say is, I can again, I can understand the argument, but if you want to move it to specifically um, Hispanic, uh, have games in in Hispanic areas. So when Barcelona play, um, put the game in put the game in Miami. 
or put the game in San Diego, or put the game, you know, where there's a lot of you know, Spanish slash Mexican. But I don't want to say the I don't want to say they're all the same. Careful, man. But yeah, yeah, careful. <laughs> but there's a, but there's a lot of connections and, and familiarity with uh, with all that. And one of the other things was that the games that were going to be played, if you know, this this is clearly now a non-starter, but we're still discussing the issue. If it were, if they were to have been played, Barcelona or Real Madrid would have been one of the teams slapped down, one of the teams that would have gone out, would have gone out there. Now, my question is: Do you think that it would have had the same effect, or clubs would want to do the same if it was to, you know, middle of the middle of the road Spanish team? So, not say middle of the road, but say it was Real Betis versus Deportivo La Coruña. I hope they're still both in the top division. My knowledge of Spanish football is non-existent but if it was Real Batiste and uh, Deportivo La Coruña in Miami say do you think that would have the same uh, feel and the same uh, effect that a team like Barcelona who it goes back to it goes back to, back, goes back to what I was saying growing, growing a new audience those fans if they took Barcelona to Miami would already have been Barcelona fans but if you took two middle of the table Spanish teams, would that have, you know, have increased and made a new fan base? Or do you think they still would have stuck with the teams that they supported, you know, they would have, they, they supported to start with? James? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, Real Betis are playing in the Europa League this season and Deportivo La Coruña were relegated. Oh, they were relegated, OK. You, they, you get the point, but two... two... No, I, I understand your yeah. point, but in the case of Real Betis, they're playing in the Europa League for the first time, I believe, in many, 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 many years this season, and they are chomping at the bit. This is a team that had difficulties in recent years, again, like I just said, with the lifeblood uh, of a domestic league. They've gone through years of being uh, playing in European football, and they're chomping in a bit, and they're ready. Uh, you can't force people to become fans of clubs wherever they are in the world I can understand with the um, with what you were just saying about connections but if you're going to talk about the Irish connections for Celtic why not do the same for Hibernian that's also a Scottish club I don't hear, I don't hear people clamoring for Hibernian to go and play in America so, no one gives a shit about so Hibernian so where do, you, where do you draw the line you draw the line at the most popular teams because that's what the Americans ultimately want Okay, so there's no respect for history in terms of a, a team having a rich vein of history going through a balanced spell and then coming good again. No, not really. To be honest, it's all about flavour of the month. Okay, that's so not me. That's not my opinion. That's just the general sort of consensus that seems to come across. You know, when you know when you go to America, the majority of the shirts you do see out there are from the most popular and successful teams because that's what the trend dictates. We had this conversation last week. Yeah. About you know the trends of the times. You just you know twenty years ago, we look at all the Manchester United shirts and the kids on the street. Thirty years ago, look forward to someone. When you go over there, everyone wants to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi. Uh, you know that's why the likes of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Wayne Rooney, because whilst they're past their prime, they're still popular figureheads of world football. So they just no one no one wants to see Burnley against Watford in, in a ninety thousand seater stadium. In Los Angeles, no one's going to turn up for that. Manchester United against Chelsea, of course, you're going to, you know, bring in the appropriate numbers because casual fans will then look to come aboard as well. Tourists will look to come aboard. Uh, a lot of fans will look to travel over with the teams as well. You'll probably be able to draw in numbers from all across the globe for something like that. You bring, you know, you bring such a sort of um, stature of clubs like that to such a stature of a country like America. And it's going to have like a, a world pull about it. Okay, I will. I will. I will just counter what both of you are saying with with one with one point and maybe one i with one idea, and then we'll uh, uh, wrap it up because we got because we got other topics to go to. When the NFL brought uh, reg, uh, brought regular season games over here, it was you know a different a different set of teams every year. But when they made the Jacksonville Jaguars have their you know, be the consistent home team one game a year. You see the amount of Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, support and the amount of jerseys on game day, and the fact that I think they are now uh, the the number one supported team in the UK when it was I think the teams like the Patriots and the Dolphins. If you had a 
Name it, James. Name your team in La Liga. That's no, I get a middle of the table team. Name your team. Uh, off the top of my head, I would go for Villarreal. Villarreal. Okay, Villarreal. Um, if you had every single year, you know, they had their game. The you know, uh, you know, a Villarreal or a home away from home sort of thing. In you know, you could you could either have it in various U.S. cities, or you could have it, or you could just have it in one. Then you would see that that team. You'd probably need to have, you'd probably need to have it in one city because what they're doing with it's it's London's team is what's happening with the Jaguars. So you'd have to have I don't know Boston's team or New York's team. Give them one stadium, make them play one game a year there. You then start to see a lot more Villarreal team uh, support coming up. And a lot more support for you know, for whoever that team would be. So, is there not the argument that if you did it that way, rather than just Barcelona versus someone, and then the next year Real Madrid versus someone, then the next year Barcelona versus someone in a whole different city, if you gave the idea of every year, you know, if you want to if you want to make it a holiday, you know, uh, first game back because I think the Spanish have a winter break. First game back of the winter break. Um, um, uh, Villarreal will play their home their, the first game after the winter break will kick off the second half of the season say, and it will always be in Miami against such, such a team then the Villarreal uh, support will swear and you'll get a new market for them is that a way that they could sort of get around it rather than having every team have to go through this you know, maybe just have one team go through this Marcus um, uh, so you're going to have to say that again for me well, the whole thing. In the question. No, just the last question. But okay, if they had uh, just one team sticking and being the team that, you know, uh, played in America played every in year. America. Yeah, just one team and then a different opponent every different opponent every year rather than Real Madrid one year, then Barcelona another year, then Atletico Madrid another yeah. year on a, rep- on a repeating cycle. I think, naturally, you probably... <sighs> I'm not sure you'd gather like a fan base so much as you would sort of gather in like a neutral, uh, almost like tourist attraction. It's like a thing for like to see a professional European football club playing overseas, which, you know, obviously the standard and quality of that team is going to be at a much more uh, sufficient level than a lot of, uh, well, all of, if not most of the uh, sides competing in the MLS. There's no disrespect to them, but the reality of the pace and the flair to the fights, it's, uh, it's, it's miles apart. Whether that would progress the club uh, on a, um, in terms of its stature in continents, um, it, it would probably take a fair while. Um, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because, you know, it's if you send out a club like whether it's Villarreal, whether it's Real Betis, whether it's Real Sociedad, then the girls and the fans just say, well, I'm not going to turn up, but I'm just going to wait until Barcelona comes to play them, then I'll go that time. Which doesn't solve the issue. And it still goes back to the same point of, you know, the most popular teams are the ones that bring in the biggest draw. And that's what America wants. America wants the biggest and the best in their country, regardless, regardless of sport or otherwise. And I, I agree with your points, Marcus, but they've surely got to concentrate on their own domestic leagues. Their own domestic league was set up in 1996, and they still haven't really registered the whole impact of uh, domestic football in different cities, still have no uh, comprehension of relegation, promotion, none of that. Nothing trickles down to other, other leagues. I just think this is a very dangerous game they are playing. And the fans will end up being the losers because football is becoming more expensive, as we know. And people are not necessarily going to have the means to fly all the way from uh, San Sebastian or Sevilla to go all the way to LA or Chicago. This is a, a dangerous game and just they need to respect domestic leagues and concentrate on, on, on protecting them as well, in my opinion. I think it's absolutely fine if America choose to take their fixtures and their domestic sides regardless of sport over to other continents there's no issue with that we already have all these um, domestic European clubs already travelling all over the globe between uh, July well through July we've got the Premier League Asia Trophy uh, we've 
the output better, so they're playing, and it was a target decider. Uh, whereas Real Madrid got to stay in Spain, got to stay rested up, and they could fire at the Bernabeu against whoever it might be, whoever it might be. Then does that mean that Real Madrid have got an unfair advantage of winning the title in Barcelona? It gets very messy very quickly. Very quickly. So it's, it's a difficult one. And again, you're right, James, that the fans do ultimately suffer for that, and it's taking away the respect to the fans. Because obviously, the idea of a domestic football club is this is a club representing their hometown. Exactly. exactly. Their home county. And we're going to get into the AFC Wimbledon debate at this point. I, just, I don't want to go down that road. However, you know, that's what we're there for. So to take that away from them, if America choose to do it where, you know, when you look at something like the NFL, that generally speaking, or even American sports as a whole, you don't really get away followings for their matches, particularly. It's not really like so much in the way section. You'll get the odd few that sort of, you know, drop in and out here and there. But the majority of the time, it's stats to the rafters with home fans. But if that's their prerogative, that's absolutely fine. But I think, again, it's... This is uh, I mean, this is a talk we've had about the Premier League for as long as I can remember, the past 10 or 15 years. Like the whole 39th game rule that Matt mentioned earlier, which was completely nonsense. Um... I don't see. I don't think it must happening anytime soon because ultimately fans lose out, and it's just I think it's just a lazy trick uh, for the Spanish sides, which they're already making uh, with the season hopefully already. Okay, I think that more or less uh, more or less wraps up uh, that first part of the debate. And it actually, uh, you mentioned the away following, Marcus. You've done very well because you've linked us into the uh, second part. Or, I the knew that. or the second topic, you've done it incredibly well. Uh, I knew that. Yeah, very clever. Well done. And um, I'm sure everyone's heard the story this week of Crew uh, uh, and Zander. I forget who they were playing. I forget who they're playing. Why do I get the sense it was Colchester? But anyway, uh, uh, lost uh, heavily away from home, and uh, the Crew players had been made to dip into their pocket, dip into their wages, and uh, re- reimburse or refund. Uh, the travelling fans who made the journey on a Tuesday night to say, sorry we put in such a poor performance, you don't have to pay for that. And this set up, this sparked up a discussion on the uh, on one of the many WhatsApp groups that we have, the coveted and uh, most prestigious WhatsApp group in the world, the Battle of the Post one. Is this, is this the right thing to do? So rather than just have it on the WhatsApp group, we thought we'd bring it to the airwaves. Uh, Marcus, I think you were the most uh, passionate about this subject, so now I'll, I'll let I'll let you I'll let you take the lead. Well, I'm trying to remember what I said now. Uh, in terms of this, it, it all depends on the situation. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Uh, first and foremost, you know, reciprocating the fans for their tickets overall for a loss. For a general loss, you know, I, I don't think that should even be discussed because part of Following football club or following any sports team um, is like you, you, you go with the risks, don't you? you? You travel all that way, you commit to that course uh, in the hope that you know you get a victory, you have a good evening, you'll see some new places. You know, football away days now have, uh, especially with Newcastle fun, become less about what happens in the stadium, they're more about visiting new areas, visiting new people, seeing new landmarks, and just generally having a good day out, a good weekend, whatever it might be. Uh, in terms of reciprocating them on individual situations, it depends on the context of it. So, if you've watched your football club reach an FA Cup final, say, and whether it's Manchester United or Bradford City, or whoever it might be, you get to that final and you see them lose anywhere from one more to six nil. Your club has still reached the cup final, still made it to the Wembley Stadium. Should you be refunded for that? Absolutely not, because it's an occasion regardless. If you're out on a Wednesday night and you're a Plymouth Argyle fan and you've taken your trek up to Carlisle and you sort of lose two one the last minute, does that hurt? Yeah, probably. It's probably a long drive back again. However, you've taken that risk and you've committed to it. If you are a Plymouth fan and you've driven to Carlisle, you've taken the time off work, you've taken the time, you've left your debt, you've left early to make that trip and you've had to take work off the next morning. And maybe you've even gone into work the next morning, hungover and tired from that, and you've gone all that way and you've got to get absolutely trounced and hit for six, seven or eight, then I 
times so that these people do work hard for that escapism, to enjoy that, to enjoy that moment uh, of football match, uh, to enjoy, you know, the sort of thrill of them, you know, winning, losing, or whatever it might be. Um, if you feel like, you know, the players haven't put in the perfect performance and basically haven't met the standard requirements of their job, then yeah, I think there's reason to feel, you know, justified in us for money back. I think, I've got a couple of examples of this, I think Wigan once went to Tottenham and they funded their fans when they got beat from 9-1. Yeah. Um, I think there's another example where Blackburn refunded fans that went to Tottenham again, actually, because I think they may have lost 2-3-0, but they didn't have a single shot on goal the whole match, I believe. But that, to me, as a Premier League club, screams lack of standards, lack of effort. Lack of uh, just all-round potential, what they were capable of. So I think there's there's reason for that. But unfortunately, when you start to get into this territory, when you do, do start, you know, refunding fans for away trips, then uh, it then invites other clubs or other fans of other clubs to say, so why why do they get refunded for seeing their team lose three 0 I go to watch my team lose four 0 and I don't get refunded. So then a whole lot of money starts going back to fans, which isn't necessarily uh, a bad issue from fans' perspective, but it just gets into very sort of money waters very very quickly at that rate. Yeah, well, yeah, I think well, yeah, I think most of the most of the points you you've made, I think most of most of us most of us can agree on. And I do think that something like this yeah, does set a bit of a does set a bit of a precedent. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you know, there is going to be another instance of a team going away uh, from home this year and losing five, uh, five or six nil. Just it, it, statistically, statistically, it's going to happen again. Excuse me, statistically, it's going to happen again. So that does then, especially if it's going to be something like in the Premier League. Like I have no idea whether or not didn't Sunderland go down to Southampton and lose eight nil, six nil. Yes. And I, I have no idea whether or not they got refunded. Got goals, and I don't remember their fans getting refunded for that. Now, Sunderland for Southampton was a threat. Yeah. Uh, 300-odd miles, uh, either in the coach or whatever means you have to make it down. And I remember the other guy there in the club. Especially, especially at the Premier League level, this is going to be it's going to be a thing. But maybe not so much at lower league, you know, uh, League Two, League One, uh, National, National League, and, and the rest of non-league, where they, where the players and the club don't have the money to then reimburse you. But at the Premier League level, absolutely, I you're gonna have you're gonna have the argument. Some people, someone will come up with the argument that the clubs have enough money. Why don't we get refunded for every loss away from home? Basically, someone will come up with the argument. I think it's just because uh, crew have set a bit of a precedent. Whether or not anyone's actually going to follow it, you know, is a different matter. James, do you have anything you know else that you want to? I think, like I said, I think Mark has more or less covered all the points very, very well. It must be said, and I don't think there's necessarily anything for us to disagree on. But is there anything else that you'd like to add to add to this story, James? Yeah. And I just want to say that I think this point was raised last week, but 11 out of 20 Premier League clubs don't need fans to fill their stadium to make money on that day, yeah. to generate appropriate revenue. So I think it's important that these steps are made by um, clubs to, for, you know, to give incentive, to give reason for fans to come back after a good day, a bad day or otherwise, to, you know, to form that bond, to develop that relationship, to reach out to the local areas from the football clubs, to do things for whether it's the local schools and local communities, to just give incentive for fans to stick around and support their local team instead of being dragged out and following the success of the uh, bigger side. Yeah. James, I, I pass over to you. Um, I think that uh, you pay your money, you take your choice. You don't have to go. I think the blind loyalty of some fans these days to think that they have to attend every single game, otherwise they're not a fan. 
Um, I think people need to first think about what they're actually going to do. I myself, I go to watch my team all the way from Amsterdam to London. I've seen us lose to Ostersons. I didn't ask for my money back. I've seen Arsenal lose to Monaco. I didn't ask for my money back because I know that you pay your money and you take your choice. Football, you can win, lose and draw. You can go to football and see a, a boring nil-nil draw. You can go the next week and see your team win 6-0. The part of the is that you never know what's going to happen and also with away days as well you know before I immigrated here to the Netherlands I went to uh, some fantastic away days I really enjoyed seeing the stadiums and seeing the cities and, and, and everything about it I think people need to, to first think before they actually go the prices are becoming more and more expensive and I think to say oh, I saw my team got battered 6-0 I want my money back you could also turn it into a funny story Do you remember that time we went to Plymouth and we got battered six 0 something like that. This is, this is part, this is part and parcel football, part and parcel of football. And as soon as you start having grey areas of, like Marcus said, I saw my team get beat three 0 and I didn't get any money, but they, um, but the other team got beat four 0 and they got money back. Where do you draw the line? I think people need to accept that, you know, this is how the game, the, the game is unpredictable. As you say, with Premier League level, you know they have the money to reimburse. But the winning mentality and the pressure at that level, I don't even think they're thinking about fans. They're only thinking about maybe the the squad, maybe the manager. I recently interviewed Fabian Johnson, uh, who who scored today from Mönchengladbach against Bayer Leverkusen, and he was telling me how football has changed, how there's so much emphasis at the top level in terms of statistics that I think in certain leagues they're not even entertaining the notion of the the fan. They just want to get the enough points to stave off relegation, to qualify for Europe, to enhance their own career. At, at the top, top level, you're dealing with athletes in very small details, where I think very, in very few cases are the fans actually in the back of the minds of these players, managers and backroom staff. Yeah, here's the thing. I'm going I'm to play devil's advocate for just a second. Do you think there's not... Um, uh, I don't want to say an initiative, but there's an idea to be to be had here for football clubs for um, for for away fans. You know, uh, oh, what is it with the uh, injury law with the injury laws thing? If you know, no win, no fee. Do you not think there's an idea for that? If we, if we lose, we give you your money back. Would that not really increase away attendances tenfold? Because people know if we win, then we win. But if we lose. I, it didn't cost me a penny. Do you not think uh, devil's advocate? I'm not. I'm not advocating for it. But do you not think there's a, there's an idea there somewhere down the line? Someone's going to come up with that on a no, on a no win no fee. What happens if what happens if it's a draw? Then you get half. Then you get half your money back. In, in injury time, and if you can see a, a, a free kick given in, in stoppage time, which leads to a goal, a, a, a disputed penalty, which is given. You know, this is it's part and parcel of football. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, to Ajax today, they bet they batted them in five 0 Now, in the first twenty minutes, you wouldn't you wouldn't have necessarily said this is going to end up five 0 to Emin. The Emin fans were singing their hearts out. There wasn't many of them in the in the young crowd today, but they all came because they wanted to be there. They didn't expect them to see their team get beat five 0 But I think the occasion they were delighted for them to be playing top flight football for the first time in their history, and they want to enjoy every second. Okay, I think James uh, again put, put a full stop on his sentence. That puts a full stop on the discussion, and we're on to the third and final uh, topic for today. And again, this is something uh, this is something that Colin wanted to say, but for whatever reason, he's uh, he's not here. So uh, I'll have to be the jumping off point. And again, this is another one of the stories that's done the rounds. Um, Brentford have got a uh, it's the official funeral directors of Brentford Football Club I don't know who the name is because quite frankly being a Fulham fan I don't care anything that happens to Brentford it's only, I've only paid attention to this because it's gone viral I couldn't tell you the name I couldn't tell you how much they're paying for for whatever year I really don't care it's Brentford um, it's but, so, what Marcus is piping out with something what are you saying Marcus? Yes, I am. They're in the league below us. They should they should really shut up first. Anyway, my point is though, has commercialism and the sponsorship it, it does somewhat touch on what we said on what we said last week. Has commercialism and this idea of sponsorship gone too far? When clubs have got an official 
funeral directors or or directors or funeral directors sponsoring them. Marcus, um, the funniest sponsorship story I've ever had, and this is something that me and Marcus had. When we went out to Orlando last year, and we saw an Orlando City game. We saw an advert for the official photocopy supplier of Orlando <laughs> City, and it's a what? How have we got to the stage where clubs are bragging? about the fact they have an official photocopy. Uh, I think May United have an official, uh, the official noodle company in Asia. Official tractor for Manchester United. Say again? There, there's an official tractor service. There's an official tractor company for my, or official tractor for Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. It's got, it's gone to that, it's gone to that stage. I, I was over in America a couple of weeks ago, watched a lot of baseball games. You had stuff like the official shampoo of such and such a team. How has it got to this stage where where sponsors have just gone completely mad? Like there was a you know there was a stage where we didn't have sponsors on the front of our shirts. Or, well, I say our shirts, these shirts. Then all of a sudden, uh, I think as uh, Colin said, Admiral were the first ones to have uh, names on shirts with leads. Now all of a sudden, everyone had that, and we thought, okay, that's that's okay. But now it's just exploded. How do we get the stage? And is it good for the game? Um, Marcus, I'll come to you. Has you know, sponsorship of a certain uh, clothing brand been good for football and uh, for certain clubs in the northeast? Oh, don't get me. I'm not allowed to swear. Am I allowed to swear? No, I'm not going to swear. No, no. I think I'm you've gonna... sworn already on this show, so please go ahead. Oh, yeah, I must have said bollocks or something. Yeah, yeah, we have an E next to our name on iTunes, so please, by all means, okay. go ahead. Well then, no, it's a load of fucking shit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go specifically into the North East, because, uh, you know, we had the debate last week, everyone knows how I feel about Wonga, that's done, that's in the past now, and I'm not that bothered about current sponsors. Um, I think where it does start to get a bit hysterical is if we go a little bit further down, we hit the Midlands, and I was actually showing this to my sister last night, because she didn't believe me that West Bromwich Albion have a um, boiler mascot parading around the Hawthorns, um, uh, she didn't believe it, so I had to get up and show her there was a man dressed up as a boiler because I thought it's some sort of boiler company um, on on the shirt. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It should be point, it should be pointed out that the boiler hasn't re- hasn't replaced whatever the uh, the baggy bird. Baggy bird. It hasn't replaced baggy bird. It's in addition to. I think it should, no, yeah. should be pointed yeah. out. Yeah, it's in addition. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, I don't want to get sued by West Brom. Yeah, I think, do you know what? Ultimately, if you've got one sponsor, I'm not sure where you really draw the line. I'm pretty sure there was a um, there was a football club not long ago that was sponsored by Pornhub. I'm sure there was. I'm sure that rings a bell somewhere. So where do you draw the line to say... Why don't we have a feeling I was in Holland? I think it was like a Dutch second division team. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah, if there, if there was any if there was any com- country where that would be allowed, it would be Holland or the Netherlands. Yeah. Sorry, don't sip on Eto's. Yeah, right. carry on. Point is, where do you draw the line with sponsorship? You know, if you can have one sponsor across the front of a football shirt, why not have a sponsor across the back of it? Why not put a sponsor on the socks? Why not put sponsors on the boots? Which I'm pretty sure some individual players put sponsors on their boots, representing or companies uh, represented by the individual player not by the club. Uh, you put sponsors on shorts, you put sponsors on sleeves, you put sponsors all across the stadium, uh, across, you know, advertising stands and boards, you know, where do you draw the line? You know, has it gone too far? Uh, yeah. Who's to say? Uh, yeah, ultimately, revenue is revenue. I'm not going to get back to too much again. So, so, you're say, so you're saying we've gone to a stage where it's... It's gone so we've we've basically opened Pandora's box. We've crossed the line where now basically everything's everything's okay now. Well, the thing is, to the likes of you and me, Matt, we've grown up with um, domestic football clubs with sponsors on their shirts. We don't particularly know any different. We've seen old you know old footage back from you know the seventies or further back where there were no sponsors, so we know that was a past time. Honestly, uh, I can't remember when it was. It must, I think it may have been about 10 or so years ago when Manchester United did the 50th anniversary since the Munich air disaster. Yeah, they had, the, they had the plain shirt, yeah. Yeah, they had the plain red shirt with the white shirt. I thought that looked fantastic. 
I thought that looked absolutely glorious. The fact they only wore that as a one-off was a real, real shame to me personally. I go back to the old Arsenal shirt before they left Highbury wearing maroon. Bardi O'Toole logo, which wasn't ultimately offensive in contrast to what it was. I thought that looked absolutely spectacular. You know, it, you know, less is more. But ultimately, you know, clubs are run like businesses now, which I all well know about by this point. Yeah, and it, yeah, it... revenue, regardless of of how and what way and who's offering it. Yeah, I think the line was ultimately crossed when Barcelona, who for years had. Um, you know, didn't have a sponsor on their shirt, and then they said, "Oh, we'll have a sponsor on our sleeve," and they say, "So it's not ruining the front of the shirt." And then they said, "Oh, we'll get, it was the Qatar Foundation." It's like, "Oh, no, no it was UNICEF first. Yeah. Um, no, UNICEF. Oh, it's a charity. They've given up the you know, the you know a hundred and plus years of Barcelona. They are oh, they've given up the what a what a good thing." Then it started to get into actual sponsors, and then you know the lot. I, th- I think that was really the moment when it said, "Right, if that's going to be allowed, then God, uh, we we have free reign to do to do anything else." It is, Matt. This is like a really trivial talking point, but I know, I know, I used to feel like this when I was a little bit younger. When I used to like picking up all the new football tops, it's just like, "Oh, that sponsorship's gone. I wonder who we're going to be sponsored by now." And then you get a new sponsor and go, oh, what's that sponsor about? So we had a sponsor like Northern Rock. I was like, oh, who are they? I was like, oh, they're a banking company based from the northeast of England. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's something affiliated with local football club. When you get to sort of, uh, Manchester United le- levels, and it's just worldwide companies, whether it's just Chevrolet or AIG. AIG, who I'd never personally heard of before United had them sponsored on, on the front of their shirts. Uh, when I think of the company Vodafone now, uh, other phone available, blah, blah, blah. Um, when I think of them now, I associate it with Manchester United from all those years ago. You know, Fly Emirates, I don't associate that with Arsenal, I associate it with Chelsea. Say, bang on, bang on, I agree with you there. Yeah, so it's what, but that's more a sort of nostalgia thing between us from that certain generation. We've always known sponsorship in football. And the revenue that it generates for the clubs. As a fan, to me personally, I've not asked. Because it doesn't directly affect me. You know, if I want to pick up a new football shirt, I just want to make sure that the design of it is quite, you know, quite nice. Yeah. To be honest, put it bluntly. Um, the fact, you know, if it does or doesn't, then I'll, you know, then I'll commit to getting one or not getting one. But ultimately, you know, sponsorship. I don't know how much of a big deal it is to fans. I think we're more happy to the members of uh, a board. Yeah. Um, yeah, I want to bring James in because you, you you've hogged the line very well. You've hogged you've hogged the microphone a bit. But I want to bring I want to bring James in. James, do, do you have anything to add on this? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, has it gotten to that stage? Over, I don't I don't want to bring every single conversation to. Is this how it's done in the Is this how it's done in the Netherlands? But you are, you know, you do have the official title of Man of the Post Dutch football expert. So I have to feel I feel I have to uh, premise every question with you know what's the Dutch approach to this? Do, do Ajax have have official nonsense sponsors as well, or are, the, or, or are Dutch clubs? You know, because they're not because the league's not as globally known as as globally uh, commercially viable as well. Are they sort of restrained in their sponsorships as well? Um, thank you, for, thank you for the title. I'm more than happy to oblige. If I can start with tonight's game that I just went to, it was sponsored by Herbalife. The match was sponsored by Herbalife. The Dutch first division. It's now sponsored by the local company, which translates into Kitchen Champions. So the league translates into the Kitchen Champion League. Hang on, so, so, hang on, so for years, so we've had, you know, uh, so when the Dutch equivalent of the match of the day comes on, when, you know, we've had, you know, let's have a look at the Barclays Premier League table. In Holland, in the Netherlands, it's now let's look at the Kitchen, the kitchen Champions Era Divisie. No, no, Kitchen Champion First Division. The Kitchen Champion First Division. Crikey. It remains the same. I think the greed has got to levels now where you see uh, recently with sleeve sponsorship, Everton with Angry Birds, Arsenal with Visit Rwanda. As I've stated before, I stopped buying Arsenal shirts uh, more than a decade ago because, um, you know, you get, you get to a certain age where, you know, again, it's people... They 
own personal choice, but with the commercialism of the away kits in particular being fashion parades, Arsenal's third kit is mint green. Whatever happened to traditional away colours? Whatever happened to tradition? Uh, for example, um, Marcus is a Newcastle fan. Ever, um, Newcastle's home shirt is black and white stripes, as it so rightly should be. Arsenal's home shirt is red with white sleeves. But in particular with the second and third kits and with the, the not just a few people buying them, millions of people buying them. And also the material as well. You stick it in the wash for a few runs and the... The, the shirt sponsors start to peel and things like that. You've got ground sponsorship and all that kind of thing. And it's, you know, where, where will it end? I mean, I remember when I following Brazilian Domestic League where you had the likes of Flamengo and Sao Paulo having um, sleeve sponsorship and uh, the Baku shirt sponsorship. But that was due to the fact that they needed the money. The money they needed the money they needed to generate money to pay to pay their, their players and also they haven't got the geographical infrastructure to be able to fly in the blink of an eye between Rio and Sao Paulo and Recife and um, and Manaus for example. Um, and so it just goes to show the differences. But I just think in particular with England now it's just become one big massive free-for-all and um, you know even with Ajax the game is sponsored by Herbalife tonight for Ajax against Emin I believe Herbalife an American company I believe and so you know you see how how the, the tentacles are spreading and I um, I ask myself where does it all end Indeed. Where does it? Where does it? Where does it all end? Now you. Now you say it's you know uh, clubs in the uh, Brazilian domestic. Um, they, um, I don't want to say sold out, but they they um, added uh, sleeves on because they needed the money. Yeah. But but you know there are clubs in um, uh, the lower league. You know we see plenty of stories on. Um, you know, clubs in the lower leagues of England going out of going out of business. Do you think that in that in that scenario where they need ten thousand pounds to stay alive, um, I don't I don't want to put quite that bluntly, but uh, to stay to stay afloat, where they need ten thousand pound in you know by the end of the month, or otherwise the football club no longer exists. Do you think then it's okay to? Um, I don't again. I don't want to say sell out, but to approach response and say, right, um, your your wish is our command. What ten thousand pounds? Do do what you like with our shirts sort or of thing. Do you think that's do you think that's acceptable? Uh, surely the FA should then step in. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't emphasise enough how here in benevolence, where we have uh, eighteen Eredivisie clubs, and we have uh, we have um, uh, currently twenty. Um, uh, first division clubs, how they are all looked after by the Dutch FA in terms of finance. If, a, if the accounts and the bookkeeping uh, does not uh, does not add up, the FA will categorise these teams and should one overspend and live beyond their means, they are warned by the Dutch FA if their books, if they don't heed the warnings, they are threatened with their professional licence being revoked and that team, however much history they have, can get put back to amateur football here in the Netherlands where they will play amateur football. Can you imagine if this, if they had the same rule in, in British football? I mean, it's un, it's not feasible in British football. I'm fully aware of that. But the clubs here in this country, they are fully aware of it in terms of the length of contracts they give to their players, to their backroom staff, to make sure that their books are in order. You see, with the new um, with the new managers in the Eredivisie this season, a, a lot of them were head scratchers as to you know how did how did he end up there? But you can understand that they've took the decision to make sure their books are in order so, they're not, so that they're not threatened with sanctions by the Dutch FA. Indeed. Marcus, any, 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 final, any final points on this? I, I mean, James brings up a lot of points there regarding, you know, what happened to, to tradition, why do we need certain amounts of sleeves and sponsorships, and, you know, and, he, and he's right in that respect and then you know you know what what are fans getting you know for their money especially when they're picking up rep, replica tops since you know they are put in the wash and you know spon- you know sponsorship basically fall apart and things like that and 
you know, it then comes around to the um, debate of, you know, is it a necessity? I know as a Newcastle fan, it's come, this has come up a lot of times down the past uh, five or so years, is can we not have a set of rep- rep- shirts without sponsors on them? Because I guarantee they would sell a whole lot more than the ones with the sponsors, because when you take them off, you know, Newcastle fans just, as James White pointed out, just want black and white stripes. No more, no less. It's that simple. And the irony being that the club probably would make a lot more revenue from shirt sales off the back of that. But maybe that's not a club's end goal at that level. Um, when it does get down to lower leagues, as you say, and a club sponsor could be, you know, the difference between, you know, a club balancing the books and going into administration, whether it's in non-league or lower leagues, whatever it might be, it becomes a bit more of a tricky area. Maybe they're looking for as much sponsorship as they can um, as they can get to keep the club ticking over. Comes back to things like the FA Cup, doesn't it? Getting through one round of the FA Cup could um, keep a, a lower league club running for another year with like a six-figure some uh, price from that. Whether they can get that from all under sponsorship from stadiums and um, other endorsements from shirts or, or merchandise, whatever it might be, then I, I suppose, yeah, you're right. I think we've gotten to that point where we can't really look back and say, you know, this is a step too far. I think the only, um, I think the only way you could really do that is if they start making uh, <laughs> legal businesses sponsors on shirts. I don't know what they might be, but I think I think that's the only ground or the only stone to really sort of um, unturn. Yeah, but no, I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, no, I'll just ask you, you, you raised the point and I, I do somewhat agree with you. Um, I think some, some shirts work when there's, uh, when there's no sponsors on it, you know, as you mentioned, the Man United one from a couple of years ago, the Man City one, the one that they wore, that looked quite nice without, the, without the, uh, I think it was, I think it was, I think it was Thomas Cook. Uh, Thomas Cook, yeah, on the front. Um, Newcastle shirts look very nice. In it. Some shirts uh, don't uh, translate quite well without without a sponsor uh, on the front. They can look somewhat quite plain. But do you think that you know? You say you know, give Newcastle fans black and white stripes, no sponsors. How, do you think they they don't do that because they know if. Uh, who's sponsoring Newcastle at the moment? Who's on the front of your shirt? It's Fun88, isn't it? Fun88, yeah. yeah Fun88. Asian gambling. Asian gambling. Right, but they've probably paid someone like, they probably pay someone like £2 million a year. Figure out the air. Figure out the air. £2 million yeah. a year to be on the front of that shirt. Yeah. Whereas, if they didn't have sponsors on the front of the shirt, would they make, which makes them, which makes them more money? The the, um, the, 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 the hundred the hang on just saying the hundred thousand well not hundred thousand but the fifty thousand fans that would buy a new shirt no sponsor on the front or two million in uh, two million in a shirt uh, from a shirt sponsor that's probably the way they're going to go that's why you probably don't get the plain plain shirt yeah it it all comes down to novelty doesn't it so wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have a sponsor. Well, you can not have a sponsor. Get your iron out and just take it off. That'll do it. As you did. As I did. Yeah, a few years ago I did that with a longer one. I I think I must have stacked that shirt off a long time ago. But yeah, you can easily do that if you really want to. I think it's supply and demand, isn't it? And I appreciate, you know, they're looking at it from a business perspective. And that's absolutely fine. You know, fans can take it into their own hands and then they, you know, once they've bought the shirt, they can do whatever they want with it. They can take the sponsor off, they can throw it in the bin, they can, you know, set it on fire. Ultimately, it's their shirt at that point. It's their prerogative. Um, I'm not specifically talking about Newcastle. I'm just talking about sponsorship in general. When I see a sleeve sponsor, depending on what it is, I, I know Newcastle last season had, I think, like a tyre sponsor or something. I wasn't overly offended by it. I think where, where Newcastle specifically really went wrong, a few years ago, they released a luminous yellow kit and obviously the shirt's being made by Puma. Um, I think the the, uh, the Puma on the uh, right sleeve, maybe both sleeves, was black. So ultimately they had black cats on either side of their sleeves. Now anyone that doesn't know or doesn't realise what I'm talking about at this point, local rival Sunderland are nicknamed the Black Cats. So I, 
I don't know if that that just didn't translate quite as well there, but they still seem to sell fairly well in the end. Ultimately, I think it was just a bit of a um, miscommunication there, and you just got to be careful with it. In terms of sponsorship, I don't know. I don't think we can really look back at this point. Um, Ricardo sold, you know, football sold, sold to, to the devil twenty five odd years ago, whatever it was, and it became more about money then. At this point, it's just it's. It's completely normalised to people like me to see sponsors on shirts. To not see sponsors is more abnormal, and I think, to be honest, that's a great shame, in a way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, James, any any final points you want to add before we wrap it up? Um, yeah, just, just you know, I wonder where, where it's all going to end. You know, what ha- what happens in uh, in five to ten years in terms of uh, sponsorship for for a customer's seat. You know, something just putting it out there in terms of, of, of things getting sillier and sillier. Uh, I'm, I'm a stickler for tradition. I um, I only wear my 1971 replicas now. I know that's before my time. Uh, I've been an Arsenal fan for over 30 years, but for me, that 1971 side represents everything which is good about my club. Uh, tradition, traditional colours as well. You know, you don't get that in this day and age. The thickness of the material as well. You know, with the games during the winter, it keeps me warm. I'll tell you where it goes from here, um, James. And you're completely right about wearing that shirt. I've got a specific shirt that I wear from when I was a kid. It's 2001, 2002. Newcastle got a NTL on it. That's yeah. why I associate with Newcastle with like the likes of Gary Speed, Shearer, Robert, whoever else. Uh, where it goes from here in terms of sponsorship, I think, is um, much like they do in American football when they look to set up for new plays. Uh, they cut to ad breaks for whether it's cars, whether it's betting sites or whatever it might be. I think the next time Gareth Bale lines up a free kick for Real Madrid, they cut to an ad break because they want to show off the latest Mitsubishi or whatever it might be. And then when they come back, the referee will get the signal to say that they're back live on air, and then he'll award the kick. I think that's the next. I think that's where the next step of advertisement or they'll, they'll go to the um, uh, half screen. You know how they put the uh, they split the screen in half diagonally. So yeah. whilst you're watching Gareth, just in case he decides to take it quickly, then you'll yeah. have Ray Winston uh, popping up in the side saying, "Is he going to score this free kick? Bet now, sort of thing." Yeah. <laughs> the game, the game is eating itself. This yeah. game is the most beautiful sport in the entire world, and it's eating itself piece by piece by piece. What's going to be left over? Oh, it's yeah. one, it's one single crumb going to be left on the floor for everyone to look at, or one single dot where people, you know, where it all used to be so and glorious. But as I say, I, I'm still a fan. I still love the game with all my heart. But I just. Uh, I just now you just think to yourself, where does this all end? Well, it turns you, you away from like the sort of the business run and the sort of upper end of clubs, and more towards your local sides where you know your money and your uh, being put into the club is going to be more appreciated. Yeah, well, I, I find myself being extremely choosy. Like I'm fortunate enough, Marcus, to watch my team, my team that I love. Whilst living in another country, I'm very fortunate. But I must say, in the years in the years that I've been doing it, I've, I've been to a fair few games, maybe on average five a season. I think in the coming years I will try to chop that down from five to two, maybe, or or you know, or be really really choosy, you know, in terms of the opponent and the game we're going to see because. You know, it, it can be difficult flying back and forth, but I suppose with the blind loyalty of, of some fans that feel they have to go every week, you know, your club is your club. But, uh, you know, people's lives change. You know, I, I go to watch Arsenal and I'm confronted with by the away fans of we support our local team. And, you know, they obviously, in my case, they have no idea, but I've, I've had to get a plane to go and watch my local team, if you like. But uh, people move in life. You know, people move to different cities. People have... Uh, different commitments in life, you know, and I think people forget that um, no, far too quickly. It doesn't make you any less committed just because you're, you know, you're, you're in a, a different part of the world. The fact exactly. that you're from that part of the world to support, to go all the way to that area to follow a football club shows just as much, if not more, commitment. But then it gets into a debate of who's the most committed fan, and then once you go down that rabbit hole, then it turns into a whole lot of hot nonsense. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Right, and that just print, uh, just as we go past and approach the one hour and five minute mark, that brings an end to what's been a fantastic uh, episode, a fantastic debating episode of uh, the Man of the Post podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on Twitter at Man of the Post. Each of us. 
Well, not each of us, because Marcus has uh, 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 boycotted Twitter. Not boycotted, but uh, has had enough of Twitter. He's hiatus. A permanent hiatus of Twitter, basically, because he can't basically because he can't stand it. But James is on Twitter, and he is at James Rowe NL, and I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Matt Reese sixty three M A T T R H Y S six three. And all that's left for us to say is thank you once again for joining us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And please remember any suggestions for topics and debates you want us to have. Please get in touch with us. No reasonable topic will be turned down. And all that's left for us to say is it's a goodbye from Marcus. Uh, it's a goodbye from James. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye, and please always remember to have your man on the post. Uh